The information in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not provided as a professional service, medical advice, or is it intended or implied to be a substitute for diagnosis or treatment. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this broadcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician and other appropriate healthcare providers. Hi, I'm Pete Levine. Welcome to Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified. I'm a clinical instructor and clinical researcher. I've co-authored dozens of scientific journal articles about brain injury recovery, and I'm also the author of the book, Stronger After Stroke. I'm Deborah Battistella, occupational therapist, creator of the OT's Guide to Mirror Therapy, and an OT educator. I have a lot of experience working with survivors. Most of my clinical practice has been in a certified stroke center. Pete and I are especially interested in talking about what rehab, neuroscience, and clinical research all have to say about the brain and recovery. But don't worry, our job is to make this stuff simple. We're here to make it so that everyone, clinicians, clinical students, caregivers, and most importantly, the survivor understands what it takes to leverage their great neuroplastic brain for recovery. Real quick, before we get into this wonderful conversation with Kathy Spencer on successful recovery, here's a recap of episode four, measuring recovery. In this episode, Pete and I explained reasons for taking measurements, We talked about aphasia and dysarthria and ways to measure changes in the motor aspects of speech. We talked about the importance of standardizing measurements and ways for survivors to measure change at home, starting with a baseline and maintaining consistency over time. We learned what it means when there's no change in measurements and what to do when that happens. Here's a hint, it is not time to quit. And lastly, we got into some interesting history about Brunstrom and Fugelmeyer. Anyway, you got to get all battle, you got to get back in the first year. Well, when I got in the arm study, I was like 10 or 11 months out, and my, I could barely, I couldn't move my wrist, my hand, or my fingers. All I could do was clench, but that was it. And I thought, if I had just believed that and given up, I, I wouldn't be recovered today. So I always tell people, and, and Pete's book is outstanding, but on the plasticity of the brain. And the, but doctors don't tend to tell us that. And I've talked to, I've, I went around trying to talk to stroke groups around here uh, a while back, and and they and people were crying. They said, I, you know, I believe the doctor, and they gave up on their therapy. I said, you are never done unless you quit. Something that you said caught my attention. What your OT said to you when you were being discharged. Remind me what she said, and I want to know how that made you feel, because a lot of what we do in occupational therapy has to do with that rapport that we build with Mm -hmm. people, and I'm just curious to know how that made you feel. It it sounds like you knew more about yourself than the therapy team. I loved, loved, loved my OT. We were, we used to, I mean, we laughed every day because, I mean, because because I would laugh at myself when I couldn't, she'd tell me to do something and, we, and I tried it so hard to do it, I just couldn't. But, but when, when she said we, they were going to, they had a team meeting and they were gonna end my therapy, 
I told you, I started crying. And she said, why are you crying? And I said, because you guys are only stopping it because you think I'm done. You think I've gotten all the recovery back that I that I'm going to get. And she said, oh, that's not, she says, that's not the reason at all. She said, you're just doing so much every day. You don't need us anymore. Hi, Deb Batted Stella. How are you? Hi, Pete Levine. Things are great over here in Buffalo, New York. How are you? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> here in the hub of the universe, Cincinnati, Ohio. So what are we doing today? Oh my goodness. Today we are interviewing Kathy, a stroke survivor. It's going to, it's not really going to be an interview. I think it's going to be more of a conversation. You mean Kathy Spencer? I do. Super, <laughs> super survivor, Kathy Spencer? Yes, this, that is exactly who I mean. So just so uh, we know what we're talking about, Kathy is the only person. I'm going to talk about you like you're not here, Kathy. Hope you're okay, okay with it because we can well, just see let Kathy. me know when I'm supposed to say anything. So <laughs> <laughs> just push the, the play button and off you'll go. <laughs> except for introductions, I haven't had anybody write anything into any of the three editions of my book, except for Kathy, because I was really flummoxed by a simple question, but a profound question. When you're trying to recover from brain injury, how do you know you've recovered? Uh, do you just stop one day? Do you, once you go back to work, is that the end point? What exactly is the end point? So I asked Kathy to write that portion of the book. And if it's okay with you, Kathy, what I'd like to do is read that. Sure. And then we'll jump off from there and, and see what okay. kind of trouble we can get into. <laughs> okay. So my question is, how do I know when I've done recovery? And this is a legitimate question. It's a tough one too. And I asked Kathy Spencer, a friend and one of the most motivated survivors I've ever met. She puts it this way. I don't think recovery ever is. I tell stroke survivors that with the plasticity of the brain, we are never done recovering unless we quit working or we die. <laughs> I still work on things, just not as intensely. I think for me, after working over two years every single day, I felt like I needed and wanted to get on with life. And I have so much recovery that I'm okay with it. I do fine with motor stuff. I type, I write, play piano, etc. But I could benefit more if I did more. I just bought one of those hand grip things to carry in my car to strengthen my fingers while driving. But now I can do so much more with my fingers. I can even put in pierced earrings, hook my necklaces, jog, <laughs> jump. Uh, I just don't focus on it nearly as much as I used to. So to answer your question, at what point are the efforts towards recovery no longer worth the time? It's always worth the time. But when you can do so much after not being able to do it for two years, you reach this point of satisfaction, but still work, just not as hard. I would never tell a person working on recovery that it ends or is a waste of time. Let me ask you this. When did I meet you? So you were involved in clinical trials when we were at University of Cincinnati. And that must have been like 2006. It was 2006. Really? That was. <laughs> You're good, Pete. <laughs> I got lucky. Uh, maybe, well, it was, well, it was the end of 2005, actually, because I, I had the stroke. No, it was 2006. I had it in October 2005, and then I think it was 10 or 11 months later, I got in your arm study. Okay, and right. which study was that? With the Bioness machine. Oh, it was Bioness. And then you became a spokesperson for Bioness after that. Yes, I did. Did we help facilitate that a little bit? No, you know, I made a YouTube about my recovery, and they saw it, and they called me. And she, she questioned me and, and, and she said at first when she called me, she wasn't going to thought think it would go anywhere. But after we talked, 
they uh, they flew my husband and I all over the United States, probably about six or seven things that I spoke to uh, doctors and OTs and PTs with Bionis. Wow. So they f- they flew you and your husband and they put you they up did. and everything? Wow. <laughs> they did. So Bioness is owned by the Alfred Mann organization, mm-hmm. one of the richest Americans ever in the history of America. So the money to fly you around, that was that's good to good to see. And do you think what you wrote a few years ago is still the way you feel about recovery or where are you with it now? Well, that's a good question. I think it depends on where you are with recovery, whether that statement continues throughout your life. I will tell you that just last probably six weeks ago, I was walking. I do, I walk several miles every day and, and a lady in my condo area said, oh, why are you limping? And I said, am I limping? <laughs> so I called my doctor, I got some physical therapy and I, I had the guy tweak my walking because I did not realize it. I thought I was walking great. And um, so, I, so I am tweaking that right now as we speak. I still, I mean, most people would see me and they'll go, I can't believe you had a stroke. Thank God, but um, but so, but my my right leg that was affected was going in a little bit. My toe was, and so he has he's working with me on taking my toe out. Well, we're done with our sessions because I'm just on my own therapy. But um, so I'm so I'm so I'm tweaking it now. Fifteen years past. You were an ischemic or a hemorrhagic stroke. Ischemic. And wow. you, you were right side affected. Yes. Did you ever have language difficulties? Because I don't remember you having language difficulties. <laughs> No, my, my husband said that since I talk so much, my, my best muscles were in my face. <laughs> I did not have, I, I did slur S's and Z's once in a while right at the beginning. Um, and I worked on that, but no, I didn't have a speech issue. You know, I always suggest that if you're going to have a stroke, try to have it on, uh, on the right side of the brain because uh, it's your non-dominant side and there's not the language over there. So you, so you had it on the bad side of the brain, but it sounds like you recovered really well. Did you, were you, you were working in like, were you working in corporate America or? I was a school counselor in Dehan, Ohio. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought you were the CEO of some Fortune 500 company because <laughs> no, that's the way she no. always came off. It was like, she looks like one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, this you. blast of energy. And she was like, all full of optimism <laughs> and everything. So, so could I, yeah. I wonder if Kathy, if you would want to share a little bit about the history of your stroke. How did you know that you were having one? Because I think people get curious about Mm -hmm. those types of questions and it helps others, you know, compare their own situation, even though we say comparing is not a good idea. It helps people to know a little bit. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you, I don't call it my stroke. I don't claim it. I call it the stroke. I have never called it my stroke. So when people say yours, I always stop and say, no, it's the, I don't claim it. I didn't choose it. And I used to work out while well, I still do. I worked out probably six days a week, ate healthy. My weight was good, you know. And, and so I, the guy told me I had one in a billion chances of having a stroke to start off. But anyway, we had gone to a, out to dinner, went to a, a, a theater um, production and came home. And um, I felt like I was getting the flu. So I went in the bathroom and I just started vomiting and it just got violent. And then all of a sudden, my right leg just got a real bad cramp in it and I straightened it out and it, and it, my whole right side just went, went paralyzed. Wow. So I needed to say, I called my husband and said, call the squad. There's no stroke history in my family. So I had no idea even what it was because, you know, you research cancer and other things that, you know, heart, but 
Anyway, they so they took me to the hospital. Saturday night, I did not get the the blood clotting shot that they were they bandaged me up and were going to do it. And the doctor on call said, Well, I told I could hear I could hear everybody was telling my kids, my husband, because well, some people, you know, a lot of people die with that and on and on and on. And so th- so he said, I don't know that I'd recommend it. So I and I at the time I wasn't, I couldn't think clearly. And I looked over to the guy to my right that was going to administer it. And the face, his facial expression was like, are you kidding me? She's a healthy 53-year-old woman. But I couldn't get the words out. So they didn't give it to me. And the next day, you're pushing me around in a, well, not the next day, in a wheelchair with my right side paralyzed. And so um, anyway, I, I was in rehab for 28 days. And uh, working, I, I told them to work me as hard as they could, give me all they got. And then I, tell, I, <laughs> I told my OTNPT, I said, you guys must lay awake at night thinking, thinking of ways to torture us people because they had me laying on the ball and trying to wait there. And I mean, it was a nightmare. But um, after, well, after two weeks, they were going to send me home. And I said to the doctor, do I look like I'm ready to go home? And he says, well, insurance. I said, no. I said, if I was your wife, would you send her home? And he said, well, no. And I said, then you know how to write it. Write it and let me have two more weeks. So I got 28 days of inpatient came home and um, my friend had done some research on stroke recovery. And so she suggested we go to the uh, Rehabilitation Institute in Chicago because it's the number one in the country. So we went there for six weeks and I had, I had uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, water therapy, five days a week for six weeks. And then I came home, went to Ohio State and had it three days a week for another year and a half. But um, anyway, I mean, I, they got, when they discharged me, I, my leg was, kind of working. I was with a, I was a quad cane and, you know, walking like that. It wasn't pretty, but at least I was thanking God that my leg was working because I just wanted to walk again. I even said my prayer. I don't care whether my arm works again. I just want my leg. I just want to walk. And then later I said, okay, that changed my mind. <laughs> I'd like to have my arm back too. Um, and I got, the, and I got the, the arm study with Pete at Cincinnati and I drove there every day for, I, mean, I forget how many weeks that was. And we did the machine with the Bionis machine for three hours a day. And then I drove home and went back every day for, I think it was a month long study. I can't remember exactly. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, it's your worst nightmare. My, my, and, and, and Pete, when you mentioned the people should have it on this, their non-affected side, quite frankly, I did hear some people say, when it happens on your dominant side, you work harder to get that back because, you know, I'm trying to do my hair, trying to write with my left hand. It, you know, trying to get dressed. And I, I was, I told people, don't help me. If I have to live like this the rest of my life, I have to learn how to do this. So I, I didn't let, I only let him help put gloves on my hands because I couldn't do it. But, um, but so I, I think you do work harder maybe to get that dominant side back. Not that we have any choice over which side it happens to, but, um, but anyway, I, so, so the journey started and the therapy started and I worked on my recovery seven days a week. My OP, my OT actually said to me after I, you know, a while, she said, Kathy, take the weekends off. And I looked at her and I said, do you take the weekend off from your using your arm and leg? And she just started laughing, said, never mind. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, w- I it was my full-time job, you know, and I saw a, a sermon when I was in the hospital and the title of it was perseverance plus patience equals peace. Cause I was persevering like crazy, but I wasn't patient. And I certainly had no peace because you're fine one day and the next day half your body doesn't work. You can't even roll over. You know, you're just laying, you can't do, well, a lot of things that you, you obviously were used to doing. And I'm a very active person. 
And so um, I had to learn. When I, when I heard that sermon, I said, okay, I got it. <laughs> and so I persevered like crazy. I was patient with my progress. And then I had, and as I saw progress, I had more peace about my recovery. There's a lot of people out there, including a doctor, they were going to get all battle, I'm going to get back in the first year. Well, when I got in the arm study, I was like 10 or 11 months out, and my, I could barely, I couldn't move my wrist, my hand, or my fingers. All I could do was clench, but that was it. And I thought, if I had just believed that and given up, I, I wouldn't be recovered today. So I always tell people, and, and Pete's book is outstanding, but on the plasticity of the brain. And the, but doctors don't tend to tell us that. And I've talked to, I've, I went around trying to talk to stroke groups around here uh, a while back. And, and, they, and people were crying. They said, I, you know, I believe the doctor and they gave up on their therapy. I said, you are never done unless you quit. And I think that's, that's a key thing. You are never done with them. And I tell them, you know, if your hand, keep your hand loose, because you never know what else is going to be out there. I mean, Bionis is amazing what, they, what they, their machines do. And they're working on so many more things that you've got to keep your, your hand and stuff limber so that you can, you know, if whatever comes down the road might help you in, in your recovery. So you were in rehab for standard rehab for two years. Did I get that right? A year and a half. A year and a half. And then, um, so at what month was the standard plateau? When when did they give you this sort of, look, we got to discharge you because you don't appear to be getting better to us. When did that happen? You know, I never got that because like I said, I worked, I, I probably did therapy six to eight hours every single day. And so when they discharged me, I started crying. And my, my OT, who I loved, said, why are you crying? And I said, because you don't think I'm going to get any better. And that's why you're kicking me out. She goes, no, that is not the truth. She said, we are stopping you because you're doing more than I even can give you. She says, you're, you're doing so motivated and doing so much of your own therapy. You don't need me anymore. Because I had a notebook. My husband, every time we went, you know, they, they copied off what your therapy that you did. And we kept it in a notebook. And I did those day after day after day and um and then came up with my own ideas of things to do for my therapy too so so i really i really didn't plateau you know i i i made little strides sometimes real real tiny that i almost couldn't even recognize and she would say wow you know you couldn't do that you're you're you're, after the bias study with you i you know i obviously didn't get my hand back within a month but just my my arm movement or just my shoulder movement she my, my ot noticed that that was more natural because when you have a stroke, you tend to compensate and you don't even realize your body's doing it, but you're throwing your shoulder over rather than keeping your shoulders back and down. So I did my therapy in front of a mirror every time, my walking, my hand, my shoulders, everything, so that I could see because your body does it, you don't realize it's even doing it sometimes. So was the, the video that got Bioness's interest in having you as a spokesperson, was that the one that um, that was on YouTube. Um, so one of the things I'm going to ask you to do, if you would, is I couldn't find that on YouTube. So if you could send us the link, we'll put it in the show notes because okay. you go through a, a huge arc of information during that. So you were going to be discharged after how long were they suggesting? It was about a month and a half, was it? Something like you mean, that? You mean, you mean my inpatient when I had, after I had it? Okay, so you went... You went from the hospital to inpatient rehab. So bef- after you had inpatient rehab, you went to RIC, but that was on your own dime, right? Yeah, it was. Absolutely. So at the point at which insurance stopped paying, let's put it that way, what month was that about? 
Gosh, you know what? I don't know because we just said I want three days a week. And if I, when my insurance runs out, I'll pay for it. I, I couldn't tell you. They, I, my, I know my insurance. I want to say they, they gave me, they gave, they, it was crazy because they gave the same amount of, of, of um, rehab to me as they did to someone who had knee replacement. You know, like, really? <laughs> you know, and so, um, and, I, and, I, and I think OSU worked with me, but I, I don't remember how, how many I had. I just told them I wanted it three times a week. Usually people, when they plateau, they discharge them. Oh, the- Yeah. They kick them out. Yes. I'm wondering do. if you have a sense of when they saw the plateau and how much percentage gain, this is a tough question, but how much of a percentage gain did you get after that supposed plateau? Oh, gosh, Pete, I don't know. Um, like I said, when they stopped me, I was doing so well. My, my fingers, I mean... Granted, they weren't working perfectly, but my hand was working and I could open and close it and move all my fingers when I wanted to move them, not when or whatever like happens when you have a stroke. But um, so I had all the movement when I stopped therapy, but then I perfected it. Like I, I got the the um, knuckle, or what do they call it, splints to, so I could play the piano because every time I pushed a key down, my hand went like this yes. and I have to massage it, put those back. So um, so I I just took it from there. I mean, I was... Everything was working. It just not fine tuned, so to speak. So, so you, you this becomes a dilemma because my argument is that once people plateau, the really super survivors, people like you that are highly motivated, then make a 15, 20, 25% and sometimes more recovery after that. But you're showing the dilemma with thinking that way because if somebody's highly motivated, they're never going to give up in the first place. Right. You're not really going to know. So I can't get a good answer out of that, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what percentage, because if you remember, and you might not, but when I came to you and you interviewed me for that arm study, you asked me how much recovery I thought I already had. And I put 75%. Mm-hmm. And after I was done with the interview, you said to me, I'm just curious, why did you say 75%? Because when you had me do stuff, I couldn't do anything with my hand. And I said, well, because I had my, my leg kind of, and my shoulder, kind of, and I just needed 25%, which was my arm and hand. And you thought that was an interesting uh, answer from my from my perspective. And then we laughed because I told you later, I'll, I'll take, change it to 2% when you started having me do the stuff that I couldn't do. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's exactly the point. Because if you don't push the issue after your discharge from therapy, mm-hmm. um, then that, even if it's 10%, it may be the difference between independence and dependence going to work, not going to work, being able to play piano and things like that. Right. So by the way, you play piano and I'm wondering, cause there's twin studies where one twin randomly plays a musical instrument and the other identical twin doesn't play. And mm. the person who does play a musical instrument has less chance of Alzheimer's, less chance of dementia. They have less, uh, they brain. get better grades. I mean, there's all kinds of really good stuff that mm-hmm. happens from playing a musical instrument do you play daily now and what do you think music had to do with your recovery if anything well i don't play daily at all no i i did when i was as soon as my fingers were working i mean like i could just go like this barely move a finger as soon as they did i went to the piano and tried to push a key down i didn't have the strength to push the key down but once i could push that key down of course i cried because like oh my gosh and then, you know, and every day I would sit in front of that piano and I'm really big on visualization prior to, prior to getting my finger movement back. 
for, for during my recovery, during for probably seven months, I played piano music that I, that I used to play. And I visualized my right hand playing the melody every night for 30 minutes a night before I went to bed. And after seven months, what my first finger just barely, barely moved. And then the next one, and within two weeks, they were all moving very slightly. But anyway, so then once I got the strength to push the keys down, that's when I bought the splits because the tone wanted to kick in and make my hand curl up. And I had to fight through the tone. And, say, and, I, and I said to my body, uh, no, you're not. That's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and I used both hands on the piano keys. And, and I would stop my right hand. I'd massage it. And every time it curled up, I massage it and said, not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stay, you know, like your left hand or whatever. And so, and people would laugh at me about that. But even in the shower, I, even when this hand would come up, I'd be washing my hand where here with this hand. And I'd, I'd literally say to my hand, uh, get up here and help because you can now, because you forget after it's been so long, it's like your hand just wants to stay down there. Um, but so then I, so I played, once I could get the piano keys down, I played uh, as much as I could every single day, lots of times. I'd play a half an hour, take a break. I mean, constantly, constantly until I, and because one of my YouTubes is me playing a song with a splint song. That was my first YouTube. Um, okay. We're going to need people. that link as well, please. I hope I can find him. My husband always did that. He passed away. I'll have to, I'll have to research that and get back to you. <laughs> okay. Um, is you, Maybe we should give Deb a chance. Otherwise, you and me are just going <laughs> to like talk forever. What do you got, Deb? I have a lot of notes here. <laughs> okay. I wonder if you can explain to us what that arm study entailed. Oh, my gosh. It was a gift from God. I'm not kidding. The Bionist machine, um, I, they were having a study where you use this machine by Bionist, B-I-O-N-E-S-S. I love the people. And it, it was a kind of like an electric stem machine, only it was fitted to your arm and it opened your hand and closed your hand. So uh, when I went to, to Cincinnati, we, they had me try things for three hours with that machine on. And, and of course, I couldn't open and close it myself. The machine opened and closed it for me. And so um, they had me, you know, try to pick up a block or whatever, you know, lots of different ta tasks. And after the study, I said to my husband, you know, I know we've already spent so much money, but that machine is going to take me where I need to go. I know it is. So we bought the machine and it was $6,200 or something. It was not, and you know, they're, they're not covered. Well, some insurance covered companies cover them. Mine did not. And, um, and I, so, so for three hours a day, an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, an hour in the evening, I put that machine on. And I think this is huge too. And I always tell people I'm not a doctor or an OT or PT, but I watched it open and close my hand. And every time it opened, I said, I said to myself, I said out loud, I'm opening up my hand. I'm picking up the ball. I'm putting the ball down. I'm opening up my hand. And I did that every single time it opened up and, and, or, and let go of it. And I, as I watched it, so I actively use my brain with the machine, which I think is crucial because I've met someone who just went to work and um, no offense to man, I'm just kidding about that. But sometimes they just ready to go back to work and they don't get the recovery because they, they got to work. But I, I ran into a man who he said, well, I use the machine. I said, well, what'd you do with it? And he said, I just sat at my desk. And while I was working, I let it open and close my hand. I said, well, and he didn't get hardly any recovery. I said, well, you got to actively engage your brain with the machine and I, and I just, I, I'm huge on, you know, saying it out loud and watching it and doing it all at the same time. 
And then as I got stronger, then I went in my pantry and I picked up soup cans and like up here and down here to get more arm movement and everything um, with, with the Bionis machine. It's called H200, but it's, it's an amazing, amazing machine. One of the things that's sort of interesting about the hand, um, because therapists often focus on proximal to distal movement, they want to get the shoulder going and then the elbow. They think yes. that that's the way recovery naturally happens. I would argue that that's not true, but that's another <laughs> argument for another day. So the reason that the arm exists is to get the hand to get to where the hand needs to go. It's all about the hand. Mm -hmm. So if you can get hand function, that often drives uh, reduction in subluxation. It drives elbow extension, drives all these other things. And I think that that's kind of what's cool about Bioness and other technologies that allow you to get the hand moving a little bit. In a lot of ways, the hand just kind of tells you everything and helps you focus on what you need to do. Yeah, That's all I got. (laughs) <laughs> well, it, you know, it does the movement for you. When you can't do the movement, how do you get your hand back? That was my thing. It's like, how do I get it to work if I can't do the movement? So I did the visualization for the fingers, but, you know, the wrist, and even, even after the study, after four weeks, my wrist moved better because it, it moves your wrist up and then it opens up your hand. And so I got my wrist back. That was a huge benefit of the study, along with, obviously, I was introduced to the machine and I purchased it. Um, but yeah, how do you do it's repetition is what reroutes the brain. At least that's my understanding. So how do you do repetition if your hand is not moving? So that's why I did three hours a day repetition. I, and I did, I, I changed what my OT said, cause she was like, well, try to turn the light switch, try to turn the page on the, the phone book, try to do it. I did the exact same things day after day, after day, after day. Um, I didn't change it up because if I can open up my hand and pick up a block, I can open up my hand, pick up a glass, you know, so I, I did the same repetitive. I had a, a glass with pencils in it. I had a glass or a little tray with nuts and bolts in it. I had blocks of different sizes. And then I had eventually the soup cans when my arm, when I got stronger, but I, every day I took one pencil out, put it in another glass, took another pencil out, put it, I kept moving the pencils, picking up all the erasers. I had to hand myself the nuts and bolts and things but I did the exact same things. And somebody said to me, well, isn't that so boring? And I said, nothing boring about getting your function back. <laughs> so it's the repetition, in my opinion, it's like the basketball player, they, same thing, same thing. They, they, they visualize that the same play over and over and over. So I thought it made sense for me to do the same thing three hours a day, day after day, week after week, month after month. And after seven months, I could open up my hand and pick up that glass by myself. It's interesting how you keep talking about these things that are all on the bleeding edge of neuroscience when it comes to brain recovery, but you came to them naturally just as an extension of just trying to push the issue. You're talking about mental practice, this imagining the hand opening again and again. The other thing about e-STEM that's, so BioNess is an e-STEM protocol, really. Mm -hmm. Um, It does a bunch of stuff. First of all, people don't realize this about e-STEM. It drives cortical change, brain changes in the area of the brain where you're doing the e-STEM. So you get to pick where where it goes. The other thing is it engenders this concept of reciprocal inhibition. It's sort of technical. But if you're working on the finger extensors, automatically the finger flexors have to relax. It's why we don't fight our own muscles. When one uh, flexes, the other has to relax. So you're doing imagery, you're doing um, sort of mental practice, you're also doing a lot of repetitions, you're using e to drive cortical change, 
but also muscular changes. So it was a bunch of different stuff that you're doing all at once. I'm, I'm wondering because imagery for us in our lab was a completely different protocol. I hope you weren't doing imagery while you were doing also doing the bioness with us, because that would have <laughs> screwed up our data. Uh, you know what? During that month, you told me you know, I was only supposed to do your stuff. That's all I did. So okay. no, I did not do it. But uh, afterwards, right. I, I sure did afterwards. <laughs> We can, we can count on that published data as being accurate. Yes. You can. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank God she followed the rules enough to not skew your study. Thank you. That's, that's right. all we care about. <laughs> yeah, that's all you care about. Yeah. You're just data. You're just data. <laughs> Kathy, I have another question for you. Okay. So I'm thinking about in the beginning, when you first started telling us about yourself, you said that you're a very active person. Are you an athlete or are you just the, are you the kind of person who enjoys working out and taking care of your body? Now, I'm not an athlete, but I, I enjoy, well, I don't know if I enjoy working out. I enjoy the benefits of working out and the health that you get from working out. Um, I mean, I told the doctor, I, when he told me I had a billion, one in a billion chances, I said, well, I'm going to start smoking and drinking. Did me a lot of good. And I laughed. And he said, if you weren't in the shape you were in, it would have killed you. That's how big the stroke was. So, and I said, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm certainly not. But no, I'm, I've always had high energy. I've always been very active. And I've always had a really positive attitude. And I and I'm a, I'm a licensed counselor as well. But but I, you know, the pot, the self talk. It's like somebody said to me something about my bad arm at church one Sunday, and I said, "Oh, my arm isn't bad. It's just weak right now." I correct everyone because we don't call it our bad arm, our bad side. It's our weak. It's our affected side. But what we say to ourselves, I think, is crucial. Mm-hmm. And so my self talk is always positive. You know, and, and so I, and I, again, you know, like, like not claiming the stroke, you know, it's, the yeah. stroke. It's, it's not mine. I don't, I didn't choose it. I don't want it. I, I you know, it was, it was my worst nightmare of my, well, one of them of my life, but, you know, yeah. so, um, so I think that's, it's crucial how you talk to yourself about it. I agree. Something else you said that I find very interesting um, about the repetition when people said, asked you, isn't that boring? Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that some people don't want to engage in their therapy because they find it boring, whereas you seem to have an understanding that it's not about if it, it's not really here to entertain you. It's here to help <laughs> yeah, you get really. well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean we've all heard the stories like pizza too. We've all heard the stories of of athletes doing that, visualizing that basket, that you know, three pointer, or whatever it is. And it just made sense to me. So that doesn't bore me. You know, I, I, I thought, man, if I do the same thing day after day after day, I'm gonna, it's going to open and close by itself eventually. And it did. You know, like I say, I'm not a doctor, but I've lived through it. And, and that constant repetition over and over and over did work. The visualization of my right hand moving to play the piano did reroute to my fingertips. And they say in the MRI that your brain lights up as if your finger is moving, if you're visualizing it moving. And I tell people, whether you're a piano player or not, you can number your fingers one, two, three, four, five, and, and just think one, three, five, three, one, three, five, three, four, two, four. You, know, you, can, you can do that. Whether you, you don't have to be a musician to do that. I'm wondering if there's any treatment options or anything that you tried that you felt like didn't work. You know, the, the only thing, and I, I wouldn't say it didn't work, but when they had me try like 25 things with the hand, when, it, when I just narrowed it down to just the same repetitive, repetitive ones, I, don't, I think that, um, to me, I, I don't know, again, I don't know because I'm not a doctor, but to me, that's almost confusing to the brain. 
I just wanted my hand open, pick the, you know, so I, that's the only one that I put a change. I had fantastic people at, at Chicago. I had fantastic people at OSU. And so now everything was beneficial. I mean, to get my toes worked, I, I picked up marbles with my toe, one with my toes, one marble time and dropped it in the bucket. And I said to my husband, I said, this is ridiculous. I got two master's degrees and I'm sitting here picking up marbles with my toes, putting them in a bucket to get my toes to move. And I put, I like, I we went to Lowe's and we got these, I think they're called nuts. I put them on all my fingers. And so when the Biden's machine opened my hand before it started working, I tried to hold it up to, to strengthen it. And I like little weights. She yeah, had little like finger little weights. weights. Exactly. And I tried to hold as long as I could before my hand just flopped down. And I did that again. And on that was where I was just sitting on the couch doing that. You know, there's so many things that you can do. Um, but I felt like it was all effective, except I just think I think the repetitive stuff is really the way to go. At least it was for me for the to get the function back. I love the idea, the simplicity of scraping away everything, all the complexity and all the stuff and just work on the simple stuff that's been working for a very long time with humans to gain any skill at any point. Because right. the difference between the brain of somebody who's had a stroke and the somebody who hasn't had a stroke is there's really no difference one of the things that we found in a lot of our studies was that, you know how the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body and vice versa? Mm -hmm. um, well, we found that sometimes the ipsilateral side, so it was, if you were a right hemi, it would be the right side of the brain that would take over and, and help because that's where the available brain was. Mm -hmm. it, it tends to migrate back to where it's supposed to be. But, you know, in the short term, the, the simple stuff that vector in a lot of repetition um, that seems to be a really good lesson for a lot of people out there that are struggling recovery. Keep it as simple as possible. And, and you don't have to buy the expensive. I mean, finger weights, if you Google finger weights to buy, they're a fortune. And that's why we went to Lowe's, just bought those, you know, nuts or whatever they're called for weights and, and the fingers. You know, so there's so much out there, but you can, you can look around your house and, or go to, you know, and find, find other things for therapy to do too. <laughs> so, Kathy, I don't know if you are aware that I'm an occupational therapist. And so something that you said caught my attention when you said that what your OT said to you when you were being discharged about, can you just remind me what she said? And I want to know how that made you feel, because a lot of what we do in occupational therapy has to do with that rapport that we build with mm -hmm. people. And I'm just curious to know how that made you feel. It, it sounds like you knew more about yourself than the therapy team well, might have I known. Think, I, you know, I, I loved, loved, loved my OT. We were, we used to, I mean, we laughed every day because, I mean, because, because I would laugh at myself when I couldn't, she'd tell me to do something and, we, and I tried so hard to do it. I just couldn't, but, but when, when she said we, they were going to, they had a team meeting and they were going to end my therapy. I told you, I started crying. And she said, why are you crying? And I said, because you guys are only stopping it because you think I'm done. You think I've gotten all the recovery back that, I, that I'm going to get. And she said, oh, that's not, she says, that's not the reason at all. She said, you're just doing so much every day. You don't need us anymore. So that's, you know, so, so, she, but, but at first, you know, because I had heard all these stories about people that, you know, well, once you plateau, like Pete said, once you plateau, yeah. um, we, we can't justify insurance paying for it anymore. But, you know, I think everybody has points where you're, you gain more and then you might not gain as much or it might not be near as noticeable. I also 
crudely with my left hand. I can't, couldn't even read it now, but I kept a journal, like a journal. I only did like one word, but like when finger moved, you know, shoulder, you know, whatever, so that I could look back and keep myself motivated because sometimes you're thinking, geez, I've done, nothing's happened in the last two months or whatever. And you go back and look at those, that journal and you say, oh, well, you know, I, I can I could move my arm out farther. You know, I could take it clear out or, or take the ball. You know, I, I rolled that ball back and forth from my shoulder, and so you you it, it kept you going. It said, "Oh, I'm still I'm making progress," even though because sometimes I think with the hand, it's it's sl- so much slower and more tedious than with the leg, um, and so you don't see the progress. I don't think as as quickly or as as much. So. Um, so I, I just kind of jotted that down to remind myself so that I can look back if I could read it. <laughs> I try to read it <laughs> and, and just to stay again, stay motivated. I mean, I'm motivated, but that also that motivated me more too to see that. Yeah, I think that was wise because our brains forget a lot of information mm-hmm. just because they, it can't hold on to every detail. Right. So I think well, that was you're so overwhelmed. Wise. You're so overwhelmed when you have one of these, and, yeah. and, and it just your mind just goes a million directions because you're grieving your losses and you're not, you didn't just lose half your body. You can't do your work, your job. I, I did start, I was able to drive after a while, but you know, you, you lost your independence. You know, so many things that you're grieving those losses. And so, so I made it a point to celebrate successes and, and think about what I could do rather than what I couldn't do, because we're, it's so easy as for us to think about what we can do. I can't, I can't walk. I can't roll over. I can't put my earrings and I can't hook my neck. And so when we get on that route, it's a spiral downward. So we have to think, you know what? I can sit up. I can shrug my shoulders because, you know, that's one of the first things they have you do, shrug your shoulders. You know, I can, you know, or whatever. So we focus on what we can do rather than what we can't do. And that keeps you more motivated too, as far at least it does me. Um. Any other technologies that you like besides uh, the Bioness that's cost sixty two hundred dollars and the bolts <laughs> on your fingers, which costs you a buck and a half? Is that really? Um, well, don't forget the marbles to pick your toes up. Oh, Unless that's we're right. just talking that's just funny. about arm, but the marbles. You know, I got to say that that reminds me of a joke that that a <laughs> uh, patient says. You know, uh, Doc, will I ever play piano again? And the doc says, I don't know. Did you play piano before? So, right. th- did you ever pick up? Uh, marbles with your toes, with before? Your toes no but you have it now yeah, <laughs> yeah right you, right you got those two technologies and the marbles where anything else that uh sort of helped you, you know well like i say, yeah. i think the visual the visualization the repetition using the, the machine um really the bionis machine like i said you know see a lot of insurance companies i still talk to stroke survivors and it drives me nuts because they'll pay for like the what was that one big thing? It looked like it was out from the. I, I was, it was a weird looking arm machine, and I and I tell them, why don't you fight your insurance company and tell them if you're going to pay twenty five hundred dollars for that one, give me the twenty five hundred dollars and let me decide. It's my life. Let me let me decide what I'm going to pay pay that toward and and you know um, and get the best. It is expensive, but you know what? I'd have paid a million dollars for it. I, I I lived on bread and water and, and bought that machine because repetition what else there's nothing out there that i'm aware of but i haven't researched it since i got my recovery but what else opens and closes your hand so that you can visualize that and actually do it and reroute your i don't know of another machine out there um yeah i mean you could use cyclic e-stim which is 
can be relatively inexpensive. Um, but uh, thing about the Bioness and the thing that they don't tell you is that you can rent those units. Yes, you so can. If a technology works, you're usually going to know within the, the first few weeks, and then you can decide to buy it if you want to. But they don't kind of tell you that, and that's unfortunate. Well, and they also, the rent goes toward the purchase, and they used to sell those rented ones out for like half price later after, after they had rented some of them. And I don't know if they still do that or not. I, I did the bilateral, and it wasn't with a machine, but you know, like sometimes you forget um, how to do something, which sounds weird, but if you're a stroke survivor, you understand this. You forget how you're supposed to move your arm. So you do it with your left hand or with the other, other the non-affected side first, and you go, oh, that's right. So now I do it with this one. And then I had the mirror in front so I could watch, you know, and I, I used that big exercise ball and I would take it back and forth and up and back to shoulder, you know, engaged. And so, but but doing, is that called bilateral? I might be saying it wrong. Well, if, if you did it with both arms at the same time, it would be. Yeah. Okay. So then I, so then I did, I did that. And then, and sometimes I just did it just to remember how to do it with the other side, the right. But I didn't, technology wise, I really didn't use anything else. It was just a, uh, like I said, the visualization, the, the machine of the repetition and just doing constant repetition. And, and then I bought those finger splints because your hand wants to curl up. So it didn't curl up and, and uh, you know, that, that type. Can you tell me more about those finger splints that you're talking about? Yeah, they were just little plastic that they looked like almost like a figure eight. So that your knuckle was, was out and they just, it just kept her straight like above okay. and below the knuckle. Yeah. And, I, and we found, we Googled and Googled and found them very inexpensive. And, and, but if you're, if your tone's too tight, you know, then they can, it kind of hurt a little. So when I first started playing the piano again, and I say, use that term loosely for playing the piano, but pushing keys down, you know, at first when the tone, it makes, anytime you're fighting it, the tone, it, it wants to try to work through it, it kicks in more. Um, so I would use them just, you know, maybe, maybe 10 minutes and then take them off, massage my hand, put them back on and give it a break. And that's the thing with the bias machine, when it opens and closes your hands, your tone wants to kick in. So it, it has actually has a motion that just does like a fast jerking motion, just kind of loosen the tone up and then it starts the next program up. Um, but those little splints were, were great at keeping. And I also slept in a, um, a splint that almost looked like a baseball glove. You put your hand in it and Velcroed across your hand. And um, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and pull my hand on it and I'd put it back on and say, nope, you got to stay in that. And I slept in that for probably a year and a half as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just put a link in the chat to to the finger splints that I think she's talking about. That okay, well, good. Talking about. Good. So that'll help. Yeah. And the other thing that's sort of interesting is you've mentioned a mirror several times. And I think people forget that, like mirror th- traditional mirror therapy, you're bisected by the mirror and you look at the uh, less affected side while you attempt stuff with the affected side. But you're talking about using mirror as a sort of instant feedback machine. Mm-hmm. And we used to do this thing where. Um, I'm sure Deb recognizes this, or you probably both do the mirrors that were on big rollers. And there was always one wheel that squeaked and just went around in circles and scratched the floor. (laughs) (laughs) We used to pull it away from the stroke survivor as they were walking towards it. So they got real world sense of how they were walking. If you've ever walked towards a big plate glass window and you get a sense of what your gates like, it's like really strange. It's instant feedback, but you talked about that quite a few times where you were, facing the mirror to see, and you can always model with the, the, the stronger side. I'm going to try not to say the bad and the, and good the good. For you. <laughs> Thank you. I think I'm going to change that in the next edition of my book. Yeah. I, yeah. That was, that was one criticism I had of your book. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
So <laughs> it's an outstanding book. I've been lambasted about that enough. I think I've got so right, okay. stronger and weaker. Well, I'll just say it that yes. way. But or affected or not affected. Yeah. Yeah, but that's too many syllables. I like it simple, but <laughs> strong and weak I can deal with. Okay, um, that's fine. I'm either one. Yeah. So you're getting this sort of instant feedback and you can model with the with the uh, strong side, you can model with the strong side and say, oh, that's how it looks like. And mm-hmm. then with the weak side, try to emulate. Yeah. And then that is essentially bilateral training at some point when one side and the other side is doing exactly the same thing. Absolutely. Kathy, was your sensation affected? No. Uh, well, are you talking about feeling? Yeah. Or, or Well, the reason I asked for clarification is I remember everything being overstimulating. And we went to Chicago in November and December. <laughs> all the Christmas lights and all the, and I and I I was using a cane and my first session she said the best thing you can do is get rid of that cane or you'll start depending on it. I said put it in the closet. I'm never using it again. I never use it again. However, every time I took a step when someone started walking toward me, I felt like I was going to fall down. It was very scary. And so that type of sensation, okay. everything was very overstimulating. Um, so that sounds more like a visual perceptual kind of a, yeah, an experience. I, I don't know. No one ever diagnosed it. They just said it, you, it's everything. All the, all the moving stuff just made you feel like you were going to fall. So yeah. no, I always had feeling in my own body. Okay. Thank heavens. Yeah. You had no problems with either tactile, light touch, deep touch, or proprioception. You could always tell where that limb was in space without looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell all that. I have one more thing I'd love to talk about a little bit. I really like how you advocated for yourself when they wanted to discharge you after two weeks. I think that's an important piece for people to hear because a lot of people are, are disappointed to find out that they're being sent home and they're afraid to advocate for themselves. I think you have to do that. And and again, with your insurance companies, they fight you every step of the way for therapy, for, for like for the bias or what, for some of those things. And they just want to give you the lesser thing or, or and, and I tell them, you have to, you have to they, let them appeal it three, at least three times before you get their attention with insurance companies. So uh, you have to do it. And, and the thing that's crazy is you're so overwhelmed and you have so much on your plate trying to get better. You should not have to fight insurance companies or doctors or all this stuff to get what you deserve and what you need for survival. And so uh, always speak up, ask. And, and I was never mean about it. I just said, you know, would you send your wife home like this? Do you, am I, do you think I'm ready to go home? And well, and I said, no, because they know how to write it. In my opinion, again, I'm not a doctor, but they all, if you push something, they know what words to use to get the person more therapy. They just do. And so you have to ask them and you have to tell them. And, you, and, and I just will say this, you know, on my YouTube, I tell everyone what my email is and I say, email me. And then as soon as they email me, I, I email them back and say, call me, let's talk. What I've, just, what I've found is there are a lot of people that aren't, aren't, don't stay motivated. They give up and, or they've heard a doctor or somebody say, or they just, well, get back to life. Well, this is the way it's going to be. And it's hard when if, if somebody in, in, in my counseling, if somebody doesn't want your help, you can't help them. You know, I think some people get released from from therapy because they're not doing they're not following through and they're not doing it. And they don't think maybe that they can get recovery. We have a lot of control 
over our own destiny sometimes. Not always, but sometimes we do, or how, how we want to live out the rest of our life. When Pete interviewed me and he asked me what my three goals were, what my three goals were after the stroke, I said, I wrote these down. I want to give a two-armed hug. I want to pick up my grandchildren, and I want to play the piano. And he looked at me, and I, I don't know what you were thinking, Pete, but you were probably thinking, yeah, right, lady, you know. But when my granddaughter, I had three grandchildren born that year, and it killed me to not get to pick them up. So the next year, I said to my daughter, do you mind if I try to pick Zoe up? <laughs> she said, it was her second born. She goes, no, go ahead. I said, well, I won't drop her anything. But as I reached down, and I picked her up, and right away, my shoulder, my right shoulder was weak, very weak. And so she went like this, which again, didn't drop her. She just, and she didn't think a thing of it, but then, but I, I practiced picking her up and strengthening my shoulder, but um, you know, to, just a little side note there, but, but you just, you just have to be an advocate. You cannot give up. And I think like when Pete's book talks about the plasticity of the brain, it gives you such hope. You have to have hope. And I said to my doctor one time, I said, when they say, well, you're going to get about all you're going to get back in the first year. I said, why do you take patients' hope away? And he looked at me and I said, you don't know how much I'm going to get back. Neither do I. But it, don't take my hope away. Because if we don't have hope, we've got nothing. And so my, my counseling practice is called Always Hope. Because we always have to have hope in our lives. Now, what does that look like for different people? You know, but, but if you don't have hope, then, then what's going to motivate you? What, what's, what's the point? Name? So that's the name of your business? Yeah, always hope counseling. Okay, I think we're going to need a link to that because <laughs> because if you have a survivor who is uh, interested in this kind of stuff, will you you counsel them on on that stuff as well, right? I, I do that free. I'm I'm a stroke I survivor see. who will help any stroke survivor who wants help. I I have a whole typed up thing of what they need to do for their therapy. <laughs> I call them on the phone. We talk, I've talked to people all over the world. And, and again, some people are just have that drive and some people go, eh, you know, that's, that's good, but you know, and you don't hear from them and, and I don't care. I just want to help because there's not a lot of help out for stroke survivors. You know, when I went to a stroke, stroke meeting one time, I came home discouraged because I thought I'm not, I don't want to end up like that, you know? So I, I want to be a help to people, give people hope because it's possible. possible. That's amazing. And I have one last question I'd like to ask. How has your life changed since you had the stroke? If if, you know, one important way that your life has changed or you have changed. I've always tried to be thankful for all my blessings, but you know, we take so much for granted. Whoever thinks about saying, thank you, God, for my finger to move. You don't think about that. And so I think it made you much more aware, much more thankful of how your body works and, and being able to live your life and have quality of life. And so just I just say that that would be it. I, I still thank God every single day for my recovery. Every day, every morning, I say that to him. I thank him. So just raised awareness and much more thankful for, you know, and I apologize to him for what I still take for granted because you don't always know it until you lose it. And then you go, oh, gosh, there's something else that I, I took for granted. You, you don't mean to do that, but just so thankful. Do you apologize to him for, you know, I asked for my uh, leg and then I asked for my hand. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I, know. I, I said, sorry, God, but, you know, I do need that hand. 
Hey, he's got to learn to be flexible. You know, we're we're humans. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it was grand. It's it's okay. He he expects that. He probably was thinking, "Oh, Kathy, I knew you'd come around to that one." <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure he was. wanted he's, more. He's got to laugh at us all the time. I'm sure he's got a good sense of humor. <laughs> Well, that was great. Thank you so much, Kathy. You used the bioness, well, you, you used the piano, you used the mirror, you used marbles, you used uh, nuts and bolts, and you used babies, all of them to recover, <laughs> apparently. And, fing- yeah, and figure, the figure, figure eight splints, too. Yeah, the, the figure splints, too. I think we're going to let you off the hook. I'm sorry to hear about your cat. Your cat is oh, ill, you. and you need to go feed your cat meds. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Thank you, guys, and you guys have a great night. Okay, thank you, Kathy. Okay, hey, thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. She is amazing. (laughs) I need to up my game of life. I know. Like, I always got the feeling that she was the head of a Fortune 500 company. And she had come to us because she needed to run the company, but she hadn't told them yet. This is like the fantasy I had in my head. She hadn't told them yet that she had a stroke and she wanted to recover enough to walk into the boardroom and give them a piece of her mind. Look, I'm going to be back. So, Um, but yeah, she's super high energy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear from you. Ask us questions and share your thoughts by email at nogginsandneurons at gmail.com. That's noggins, the word and, spelled out, neurons at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with others you think will benefit. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you next time on Noggins and Neurons, Stroke and TBI Recovery Simplified.